Open your Bible today to Psalm 42. This will interest you and hopefully stimulate your mind. Psalm 42 is an interesting psalm, and I want to just tell you this. I finished it earlier the week. I, finished, I cer- certainly finished it la- yesterday afternoon. And late last night, I was sitting in my house in my living room, and I had the television on. I was watching the uh, NBA weekend in Indianapolis. I just saw the very tail end of some of what was happening up there with the slam dunk contest and that. And, and so as I was watching that, it was like God said to me, I don't mean audibly, but in my heart, it was like God spoke to me and said, John, go into your study. You've got a three-volume commentary on the book of Psalms written by James Montgomery Voice, Boyce, a very well-known pastor. It was like God said, read his preface to Psalm 42. So that's just what I felt that in my heart. So I'll go get the book. Here it is. I opened it up and I read the preface. Montgomery Boyce, James Montgomery Boyce pastored a wonderful Presbyterian church in Philadelphia for many years. He's a tremendous, tremendous uh, Bible scholar and pastor. And here's what he said. And when I read this, I thought, I wasn't planning on getting into that. I was planning on tapping into this relentless idea that the students have been talking about all weekend, and I am going to stay on that idea, but from a slightly different perspective, here's what he said. It is hard for me to imagine that a book about depression would be very popular. But in 1965, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the pastor of Westminster Chapel in London, England. Now, we're familiar with Westminster Chapel because R.T. Kendall comes here every year to preach. But that is a historic church long before he became pastor. A man named G. Campbell Morgan, now Martin Lloyd-Jones, pastored this church. And in 65, he published a book entitled Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cure, which became one of the most highly valued and widely circulated books that he ever wrote. The only conceivable reason it has been so popular is not the subject itself is attractive because depression is not a very attractive topic, but that so many people, including Christians, are depressed and looking for solutions. We're all depressed at times, Boyce says. We get down in the dumps. We sing the blues. We feel that God has forgotten us and that we will never be able to get back on track with God again. It is a condition the old mystics accurately labeled the dark night of the soul. Now, again, put yourself in my shoes. I have finished the sermon on Psalm 42. And now I'm reading a totally different emphasis than I had planned on putting out here today. And that is on depression, the dark night of the soul. And I thought in my house last night, I wonder how many people in church on Sunday will say to themselves when I start walking down the depression trail. Man, I'm glad you read that because I'm, that's where I am, John. I'm in a dark night of the soul. It is a puzzling condition, Boyce wrote, when Christians themselves are in depression. We wonder, why is this happening? How could this happen to me if I'm truly saved? We identify with Irma Bombeck, who asked in the title of one of her best-selling books, if life is a bowl of cherries... Why am I living in the pits? And I wonder today, even with our students, how many students here now would say that, yes, I'm living in the pits. I spoke to a lady between services for the last 15 years. She has worked at the University of Houston. 
She said, John, I'm around college students every day. And she said, what you said about depression affecting people at all ages is so on the money. She said, I can't tell you how many college students, some of them coming from families with tremendous wealth, some of them with phenomenal minds, some of the ladies, the girls, beautiful, the men, handsome, athletic, everything going for them. I cannot tell you at the University of Houston how many students are struggling with depression. And so when I read that last night, I thought, well, you know what? Even though I hadn't planned on getting depression in there, I can use that as my launching board and still preach the sermon that I had prepared to preach. So in Psalm 42, we find the psalmist at a time in his life when he was greatly depressed. He was down in the dumps. In fact, Psalm 42 and Psalm 43 really go together. They were written by the same person. And in some of the Hebrew, oldest Hebrew manuscripts we have, it's just one Psalm. And in our Bibles today, it's two, but it's written really in the spirit of one Psalm. And just listen to what the psalmist said. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within you, within me, for I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. The psalmist is depressed in part because he's remembering how good his life used to be. You know, the memory is a wonderful blessing God has given us with our minds and in our memories. We can go back into our childhood. We can go back into our teenage years, our high school years, our college years. We can go back, and, and that's a wonderful blessing. But you know, sometimes our memory can get us in trouble. because not, not that we forget, that's another type of trouble, but it can get us in trouble because we look back on the past with such fondness and such happy memories that we think my life will never be as good as it used to be. And that's what the psalmist, he's remembering better days. And then in verse five, he began talking to himself and he said, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? And then he tells himself what to do. Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. If you look down in verse number 11, it's the same verse repeated. If you look in Psalm 43 in verse five, it's the same verse repeated. Three times the psalmist, because of his depression, his circumstances, people against him, he's separated from his loved ones, he's not in the house of God with his uh, fellow worshipers like he had been, he is depressed, and as he is depressed, he began talking to himself. He's hearing these voices in his head. Your best days are over. Look at the enemies that have come in your life. Where is God? If God were on your side, if God were for you, why would God have allowed you to, and he has to stop. It's like the psalmist took himself by the bootstraps and just pulled himself up and said, hey man, stop listening to those crazy voices and put your hope in God. Change your focus and let this depression lift. Now, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I know depression is, is, a complex situ is a complex problem. And there are many reasons for depression. 
And sometimes it's a chemical imbalance and medication has to be, tr- or has to be prescribed. And so the depression can be treated medically. And I do understand that, certainly. But I also firmly believe that much depression is not that complicated. And it's not necessarily that chemical, although some is. Much depression, did you know that sometimes when we get down in the dumps, I'm not necessarily talking about clinical depression, but just the blahs down in the dumps, sometimes that depressive cloud can lift in a matter of seconds if we will change our focus, if we'll do what the psalmist did, talk to ourselves and say, what's wrong? Why are you so down? Hope in God, focus on God, look to God and let God be the one to lift this. And then he said, for I shall yet praise him. There's something about putting our faith in God and our praise in God that just lifts our spirits. And here we read, it even changes our countenance. Did you know there's another psalm that says those who look to God are radiant? When we look to God, it's just somehow, it enables us to look at everything else in life differently and that cloud just lift off. So let me make three observations about being relentless. The idea behind relentless and relentlessness, which what they have been talking about this weekend, it's a determination to do something and it is a refusal to give up. Athletes have this. Leaders have this, business people have this, but as Christians, we should have this, a determination to be as close to God as we can and a refusal to give up. Three observations. Number one, we should be relentless in our faith. Relentless in our faith. In verse five, he says, hope in God. Faith, you may not have thought of it this way, but faith is good for you. You remember back in the day, there used to be a commercial. The students probably never have seen it. Maybe you have. But there's a commercial called Milk. It does a body good. You remember that? They were encouraging us to drink milk. Well, it, milk does, does do a body good. But faith does a soul good. Faith does a Christian good. Faith does us good. Faith is to our soul what oxygen is to our body. It just invigorates us and it strengthens us. Faith There's something about faith. I've noticed in my life when I begin to get down or worried or concerned or just kind of like I've described earlier, if I'll just refocus my attention to God and focus on him and say to God, God, I'm trusting you with this, it's like that depression, that downness just begins to lift. And so we need a faith, first of all, that says God's word is true. And I wanna focus on this for a moment with our students today. At your age, this is true for all of us, whatever our age, but especially at your age, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you three little short sentences. And if you would memorize these, and not just memorize this, but live your life by this, it would, it would change everything about your life. Here are the three sentences. You ready for If you're ready for them, say amen. I wanna make sure you're ready. Here, here, they, here they go. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Say that with me. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Say it again. God said it. So here's how we know what to believe. We're talking about faith is important. Faith does our body good. But what is our faith in? Our faith is in what God has said. Now, think about the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you can believe that, you can believe everything in the Bible. I mean, you just believe God said it. Doesn't mean we always understand it, but God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. God said, 
my grace is sufficient for you. God said, I will meet every need. God said, no weapon formed against you will prosper. God said, he's gonna perfect those things that concern us. God said, all these things. In the Bible, God said, there's a heaven. God said, there's a hell. You know, it's not popular, but God said it. God said that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. God said that we're all sinners. God said there's only one way to be saved, and that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, God's word says that there were three Hebrew teenagers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they spent a night in a fiery furnace and lived to tell about it. Now, people say, well, I don't believe that. How, you can't even be in fire and not be destroyed. But God said they were, and we believe that that is true. Daniel spent a night in the lion's den, and yet the lions did not destroy him. Not at all. He, he lived to tell about it. We read about Jonah. Are you familiar with the story of Jonah? Now, think about what the Bible says. Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days and three nights, and he lived. The fish didn't kill him. He was able to breathe. Now, I don't know how that happened, but it is true. Now, what I'm saying to you students, remember what are our three sentences here? God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. If you will build your faith on that, you'll be okay. I heard years ago about a college professor, a philosophy professor. He taught freshmen in college. He was not a believer. He was an atheist. Not only an atheist, he, he hated the thought of God. And on the first day of class, he's got a classroom full of freshmen. And he said, I want you to say something before we begin this semester. Some of you have grown up in Christian homes and you've gone to Christian churches and you've been brainwashed by all these crazy stories in the Bible. And I want you to know, I don't believe any of them. I don't believe that there is a God. I don't believe in a creation. Jesus dying and being raised again. I don't believe, he just, just mowed down the whole Bible. He said, some of you even believe in a story about Jonah, a man supposedly swallowed by a fish and spent three days and three nights in the belly of that fish and, 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 and lived. And, and he said, this is foolish. Biologically, it's impossible. Physiologically, it can't happen. And I just don't believe it. And I think it's only a fool would believe something like that. He just mowing these down, scared this freshman to death. He said, I'm curious as we begin our time together this semester, are there, is there anybody in this class dumb enough to believe about Jonah being in that fish that long? Well, he scared the class so much that nobody wanted to raise their hand. And so for a few seconds, nobody did. And then finally, on the back row, there was a little girl, 18-year-old college freshman, and she raised her hand. And the professor said, young lady, you believe Jonah in a fish for three days? He said, how do you think that happened? He, she said, sir, I, I don't know how it I don't know how he breathed. I don't know how he lived. I don't know how it happened. I, I just don't know how, but I believe that it happened. And she said, to tell you the truth, when I, she was just trying to say something kind of light to take the pressure off. She said, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna ask Jonah how he did it. And the professor said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? She said, well, then you ask him how he did it. <laughs> what was she saying? She was saying, look, I don't understand but God, God said it, say it, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. After the service, after the first service, a lady came up to me. She said, John, you know the story you told about Joe? She said, my husband was a college freshman many years ago, and he was in a philosophy class with an atheist for a professor, and that professor was 
spitting out some of the same jargon that you were saying up there this morning. And it caused my husband to become an atheist. He didn't really know what he believed until then, but he was so under the influence of that professor that he became an atheist. And she said, listen to this, several months ago, after much nagging on my part, I invited him to come to First Baptist. He came to a service one Sunday morning. He heard one sermon out of the Bible. And when, he, when you gave the invitation, he got saved. And my atheist husband became a Christian just like that, that fast and that quickly. And it's an amazing thing. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it. Now, the second thing I want to say, we need a faith that says God's plan is perfect. I, can't, I don't have time to develop that as much as I originally was going to. But students, I want to say to you, God made you just like he wants you to be. Sometimes all of us, and I know when you're young, it's worse, but some of us, we look at things about our lives and we think, I wish this part of me was different. I've always wished that God would have made me about three or four inches taller. I'd be great if I was a little bit taller. I wish God would have given me a voice just a little bit deeper because then it would sound more like God and more authoritative. You know, I would like that. I wish God would have given me brown eyes instead of green eyes. Because if you have brown eyes, you're not so sensitive to the light. If you have light eyes like I do, you go outside, you've got to put your sunglasses on. I wish God would have made me farsighted, not nearsighted. I know some people even decades older than me, but they're farsighted. They could see an ant on a haystack a mile and a half away. I can't even see the haystack a mile and a half away. But God made me like he made me. And I want to say to the students today, God made you like he made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. And when God finished making you, God said that he was pleased. And so I say, you know what? Yeah, I wish my voice was a little deeper, but it is what it is. It's the vo- it's what, this is what God wants me to sound like. I wish my eyes were a little different, but no, this is what I'm, I wish my height, no, God said, John, you're the perfect height. I've made you like I want you to be. And so... Just accept it. You're a a jewel. You are made in the image of God. But what I'm saying is we should be relentless in our faith, in faith in God's word, in our faith in God's plan. He made us like he wants us to be. So enjoy how you are. Be thankful for how you are. I was in a restaurant the other night, and this this happened. I might not should share this, but it made me feel really good. Uh, I was just ordering what I wanted, and she looked up at me, And she said, I think I've heard you before. And I said, well, maybe so. And I just, I just kept placing my order. And she said, I know that I have heard your voice before. And I said, well, maybe so. And she said, in fact, I've heard your voice recently. She said, by chance, do you ever speak on the radio? And I said, well, our church does have a radio thing. We're on at one o'clock and six o'clock. She said, you're at the church in Pasadena. And I said, I am. And she said, I just want you to know that I listen to you a lot coming to work and I love your voice. Now she said that to me. And I said, well, I love you. I love you so much. She said that to me, but it made me feel so good. And I thought, God, you gave me my voice and this is how I'm supposed to sound. And then I said, I have to be very nice to this lady and leave a tip, a very nice tip now to make our church look good. But the next thing, real quick, we should be relentless in our commitment to purity. First Timothy 4, 12, this is for our students today. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers. Listen, in word, In conduct, 
in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Purity. What is purity? It is a decision, for example, at your age, that you're not going to have sexual relations until you get married. That is a decision. That is a commitment. And that's how God would have us to live our lives. In the Old Testament, Joseph was seduced to have an affair with, a, with what I'm sure was a beautiful lady. And he was in a place, he was far from home. This is why sometimes in college, people do things they wouldn't do at home because they're just away from their church, away from their family, away from their friends. But Joseph said, and I quote, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph's family wasn't there, but God was there. Daniel, it says of him in Daniel chapter one and verse eight, he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. He made a decision. There were certain things he was not going to eat. That wouldn't apply to us today. There were certain things that he was not going to drink. That does apply to us today. There were certain things that he was not going to do. And that certainly applies to us today. And so we purpose in our heart. Again, it's a decision. You make a decision to be pure. You make a decision to be a virgin until you're married. You make a decision. You make a commitment. And with God's help, you stick with it. Now, some are thinking, well, John, it's too late for me. I've already blown it. I don't have my purity anymore. Well, listen, if that's the case, we ask God to forgive us. We, we receive his forgiveness and his cleansing. If we've already blown it, we make a new commitment. Hey, as I said last Sunday, aren't we thankful that ours is a God of second chances and new beginnings? He is. So if you're pure, make a fresh commitment to stay pure. If you've blown it, ask for forgiveness and draw a line in the sand. Today, February the 18th, is the day you begin again. And one day you'll get married out there more than likely. And you can say to your spouse, you know, when I was... When I was in high school, I blew it, I messed up, but one weekend we had a a special emphasis at our church, we call it breaking free, and I asked God to forgive me, and I made a fresh commitment, and from that moment to this moment, I've been saving myself for you, and I've been pure, and you'll be as pure in the eyes of God. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. You'll be a virgin all over again. You'll be pure all over again, and God will give you a new beginning. And the person you marry one day will greatly appreciate and respect the commitment that you have made. So just make a commitment to be pure and stick with that. Number three, we should be relentless in our pursuit of God. Many times when we're depressed, when people are depressed, the depression is so bad, they turn to everything but God to try to get rid of the depression. That's really what, if you think about it, that's what sin is. Sin is is an attempt to escape reality. Why do people get drunk? Because they don't like life when they're sober. Why do people get high? Because when they're high, they're not dealing with what they're dealing with when they're clean and sober. Why do people get, people who you would think would never get involved in immorality, why do they get involved in immorality? Because they're so down, so discouraged, so depressed, life is so awful that if they can engage in this Active excitement for a little time, at least during those moments, their mind forgets their problems. But the problem is those moments end. The immorality ends. The the alcohol wears off. The drugs fade away. And now when you come back to normal, not only do you still have the same problems you had before you did all that, now you've got the guilt on top of that that you didn't have because you've tried to deal with the depression the wrong way. Look again in verse number one, how the psalmist dealt with this depression. 
As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? And the psalmist was saying, I'm taking my depression to God. I'm not taking my depression to Uh, to a prostitute. I'm not taking my depression to some other immoral. I'm taking my depression to God with a clear mind, sober. I know what I'm doing. And I'm going to ask God as I put my focus on him to lift my focus. Who was it? Corey Ten Boom who said, if we look around, we'll be depressed. If we look within, we'll be distressed. But if we look above at God, to God, will be at rest. And so we should be relentless in our pursuit of God. One of the things, as I said at the beginning, that I love about this student ministry is that it's healthy. These students love God. These students love each other. These students are very much not just in the silo. They're part of the farmhouse as well. And about a year and a half ago in the summer, we started having some of our, who are now our seniors, of all things, they started coming to our Tuesday Bible lunch on, in the summertime. Maybe not every week, but several weeks. I mean, they were filling up multiple tables with, with seniors and juniors and seniors in high school. And one of those that I got to know during that time was a young man named Clayton McBride. Clayton, would you come up here for just a second? Clayton is a senior at Deer Park High School. He's a sharp, give him a hand as he comes up here. He's a star athlete. Clayton, you come, you get right here, buddy. I want you at the center of attention. That's your pulpit right there. He's a tight end, starting tight end for Deer Park football team this season. Opening game, scored a touchdown. I mean, this man got it going on. A week, or, a week after that, they're in practice one day, Deer Park High School. And Clayton, tell them what happened to you, man. Yeah, so uh, we're in practice. It's a Monday practice. Those are our hardest practices of the week. And uh, I line up to go... Get, go block someone, get hit on my side, snap my fibula in half. Yeah, this little bone you have right here. Just snapped it. And so, so you were taken to the hospital. Mm-hmm. You had major surgery. Tell mm-hmm. us about the surgery. Yeah, so they, uh, they took a plate, ran it down the side, put it there. Four screws, one big old bolt right through the middle of my ankle. And that ended your season yes, this sir. year, right? Now, Clayton, is it safe to say that although you're not sure how this would have turned out, you, you had some dreams of maybe playing football in college, right? Yes, but here, you, put yourself in this man's shoes. Senior in high school, the starting tight end for Deer Park. Touchdown in the first game, broken fibula, surgery, out for the season, football career's done. Maybe even thought of playing college football is, is being pushed farther out. So tell us, how did you feel when that happened? You know, like it was, it was hard at first. It definitely was, but... Uh... Thankfully, the community just came together so well. Like, I, the amount of prayers, texts, calls I was getting, just like, we have our student leadership team in our high school. They sent a video of every single person there praying for me. It was, it was so powerful. It was like, I never could be alone. I never had a, I never could be sad, you know? And uh, I think that's a great metaphor for uh, how God is in our life, you know? Uh, God will allow calamity to happen in your life but uh, the Bible also says that God will never forsake his people. So. so, Clayton, how did you turn to God and what did God begin to do in your life during this time? Yeah, so, uh, you know, but prior to the injury, I had thoughts of going into seminary and giving my, committing my life to the Lord. 
Um, but right when, right after that happened, I was like, okay, this happened for a reason, you know? So uh, yeah, that was kind of God just saying, hey, you're not doing any of this football stuff anymore. You are committing to me full time. And uh, yeah, uh, sim, sim, plan on going into seminary after college. And uh, I pray that uh, God will allow me to be a part of the ministry one day. And uh, I plan on giving my life to the Lord. So you have committed your life now to full time to being in the ministry, yes, sir. right? Do you think you'll be a pastor or a student minister? Or do you know? Wherever God leads me. Where, yeah. Well, well, Pastor Clayton, let me leave you right over here today. <laughs> now listen. I, I love this guy, and we were able to talk some, you know, during what he went through. We look at all these people, students, adults, all over. Cam- there's a camera back there, people at home <laughs> who should be here. No, I'm just teasing if you had to be home. Thank God for streaming if you can't be here. But listen, I would imagine in this room today, there's some people, maybe not with a broken fibula, with a broken heart, maybe with a cancer diagnosis, maybe with a law, something, man, their life is broken. And they're like, I can't see forward because of what I'm facing right now. What would your word to them be? Uh, I think it's kind of fitting. My, uh, my life verse has always been Romans 8, 18. Uh, my current sufferings cannot compare to the glory to be revealed to us. And uh, to all those people out there, or to everyone here that's maybe struggling with something, uh, there's all, it, the grass is always greener on the other side. Um, like I said, God will never forsake you. No matter what struggle you're going through, maybe a sin, um, God is always gonna lead you through that, no matter what. Wow. Yeah. So that's the word, that yeah. God is gonna lead them through that. Yeah. Clayton, would you pray over this group, a pastoral prayer. This will be your second pastoral prayer because your, your first one was at 9.30 and it was beautiful. But would you just pray seriously for everybody in here today and people even at home who something is broken, something's not right, and you're saying to yourself, why are you downcast, oh my soul? And Clayton has reminded us today that if we'll look up to God, that God will see us through. Would you pray a prayer yeah, over them, Clayton? Absolutely. Father God, we love you. And um, God, I'm thankful for every person that's here today, Lord. I'm thankful that, uh, God, that they came to church today, Lord, because you know whether they got drugged to church by someone or, uh, God, they came here on their own, um, you, drug, you got them to church, Lord. And um, God, I'm so thankful that they're here. Uh, for everyone here that might be going through a hard time in their life, God, whether it be a, a struggle with sin, um, financial struggles, um, God, you know everyone's struggles, but God, I just pray that uh, they can take all that to the, the foot of the cross, Lord. And I pray that they would just lean on you for, for all the strength that they, they need, Lord, because you are faithful to supply. And um, God, I just pray that they would never, they would never walk away from you. And uh, God, I pray that they would all understand that you are all that they need in their life, Lord. We love you, it's your name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's thank God for Clayton. That's awesome, thank you. Now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, today you say, John, I, when you started on that depression deal, I'm like, man, I'm thankful he read that, that man's book last night because that's where I am. Well, it may be that your cure happens in the next 30 seconds to one minute. 
I don't mean your circumstances change, that your situation changes or that your health changes or that your family dynamic changes. I don't mean that. I mean that you change in how you look at it within the next 30 seconds. Would you just say this to God? God, with this that I am now facing, I put it in your hands. I trust you with it. I put my hope and my faith in you, God. In your word. In your promises. In your grace. Nothing that I'm facing now has caught you by surprise. If it's in my life, you've allowed it into my life. And this must certainly, God, be something that you would want to use to become a part of my testimony. Not just what I'm facing, but how I'm facing what I'm facing. I trust you with it. And I praise you for being my God and my, and my Lord. You have my faith. And I'm walking out of here with a lighter spirit than I walked in here. Some today need to be saved. Your burden is sin and death and what will happen and where will you go? And eternity is too long to gamble with that. Pray this prayer right now, Lord Jesus. Come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. I trust you, Jesus. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.